I once heard a story about a guy that didn't believe that most of what you read in the Bible was true, and he definitely didn't believe that any of the miracles that we read about in the scriptures were true. And he said, for example, take the Old Testament. He explained this. He said, the Hebrew word for read and read are the same word, which, by the way, isn't true. I checked that out, and it's not true. <laughs> and when it talks about Moses leading the children of Israel through the Red Sea, he says that it really meant the Reed Sea, R-E-E-D. And it was no big miracle because the Reed Sea was about two inches deep of water. And the rest of it was plants and so forth. And he said it was more like a marsh. And so all that really happened was a wind came along and blew some of that water aside, and they were able to walk on through the mud and get across. And somebody who he was telling this to said, well, hallelujah, what a miracle, another miracle. And they, he said, what do you mean another miracle? He said, just imagine all those Egyptian soldiers they drown in two inches of water. <laughs> Some people have difficulty dealing with the miraculous. We've seen miracles. We've seen them happen. We've had miracles in our family. We've had some not-so-miraculous things happen, too. But we've seen miracles in our lives. This church has seen some miraculous things happen with its people. Recently, and I'm sure, down through the years, many, many wonderful things. This morning, we want to talk about a disciple who had a hard time accepting Jesus' resurrection from the dead. After all, that was a miracle, right? To, be, to, to rise again after dying. And of course, we all know his name, poor Doubting Thomas. Now, I'm always happy to take my vacation the week after Easter, because I know that in the lectionary, which I follow for the most part, but not always, but I, I know that following Easter is always Doubting Thomas Sunday. And it's sort of a downer, you know. He's a, he was a doubter, right? And so I'm always glad to not have to preach that day. Well, this year, our vacation plans are a little different. I'm going to be on vacation next month instead. And so here I am. And so I wanted to put as positive spin as I can on, on Thomas. I think Thomas kind of got a bad rap uh, in some respects. He was not called Doubting Thomas previous to this. He was actually called Thomas the Twin. And he was not the Debbie Downer that he's been made out to be. He was just as positive as any of the other disciples were. But did you know this? The first time, because Jesus appeared twice to all the disciples together, the first time he appeared to them, guess who wasn't there? Thomas wasn't there. So maybe this might be a good place to begin our thinking. He wasn't with the other people, with the other disciples when it happened, so maybe doubt came more easily because he, they had already seen. So it was easier for them to believe. Thomas had not yet seen. Isn't it hard to see something that you can't envision or touch? It's hard to believe sometimes. It's hard to hold to a promise that is not 
tangible. And that was Thomas' situation. He wasn't there, and he didn't believe the rest of them. It happens to us. Sometimes we start missing church, and then we miss a Sunday or two at first, and then as time goes on, we miss more Sundays than we show up, and then we just stop coming altogether. Like, well, and also, not only attending church, but your, your personal time with God, your time of meditation, your time of prayer, your time of reading a little bit of scripture each day. It just diminishes and diminishes until it's down to nothing. And like an ember, when you take it out of the fire, you get, your heat goes away. You cool off. And it's hard to relight that heat. Take an ember and try to relight it sometimes. It's not as easy as starting a fresh piece of wood. And my hope is that no one has intentionally missed a lot of church in the last year. We know that. You've not been able to attend church because of COVID. My hope is that none of us have gotten into the habit of not coming to church and found it to be much more convenient. And so when things are okay, and when you are vaccinated, and when the CDC and when the government tells us that it's, and when science tells us most importantly, that it's safe for everyone to return, I hope that you will not have gotten to that place where you're comfortable staying home. And it's great we have YouTube. I'm so thankful for it. What would we have done this past year? What would we have done? I would have been so busy because I would have had to go to each of your houses every Sunday and <laughs> stand on your front lawn and preach to you. Wouldn't that have been fun? But it would have been terrible, really, if we had not had YouTube. And there are those who are a distance away who will continue to come, I'm sure, by way of YouTube. There are others who will have reasons that they should not attend, and they will stay home. But I hope that if you're physically able and you're comfortable doing it, that everybody will return soon. I'm very encouraged by the number of people who are here this morning. This is Sunday after Easter. That's a pretty good showing. I'm very pleased with that. It means that you have remained engaged it means that our church leadership has done a good job of keeping the communication lines open. And we've been able to help you to understand that you're very important to this church, whether you're physically here or you're at home. It doesn't matter. And when this is all over, and it will be over, not gone away forever, it's going to be like the flu. It'll never go away. But there will be precautions, there will be vaccines, and we will... We'll, we'll go back to a much more normal life than what we've experienced in this last year. And when that happens, I hope that because of the pandemic, none of you will stay home. And I won't mention that again, I promise. But I had to say it once, okay? It is a concern, but it's not much as much of a concern as it used to be because I'm seeing people returning. And I'm very encouraged, and I hope you are too. But anyway, that had not happened to Thomas. He wasn't lost. He was just not there when something important happened. After all, he was one of the 12 people who was selected by Jesus 
to be his disciple. Maybe Thomas was just so brokenhearted that he wanted to be alone. In times of grief, don't you sometimes want to be just be left alone, be by yourself? Maybe that's what he was doing. Maybe Thomas went to be with friends or family, someone who was, he was close to. We want to do that when we're grieving, don't we? We've been denied that privilege this last year, but that's what we want. When we're in grief, it's what we need. Maybe Thomas felt that he would find more comfort somewhere else than with the people who reminded him the most of Jesus, who he thought was now gone forever. It was a time of of crisis for him and for all the disciples. They knew that Jesus was the Messiah. They were waiting for him to set up his kingdom, and now he was gone, crucified like a criminal. Then Thomas wasn't there when he appeared to the disciples. So he was still in that state of doubt, that state of despair. Here's a lesson for us. Group support is powerful and meaningful. Ask anyone in AA. Ask anyone in a grief support group. Any other kind of a support group, how important it is. Group support is a valuable resource. Group support is one of the things that this church is all about. We are here for one another, in the good and in the bad. As the years pass, we see a greater need for the church, a greater need to be comforted. This last year, man, it's, it's been a doozy, and we've really needed each other, and we haven't been able to do that. Well, now it's time. It's time to lean on one another, just like we always do. There was a minister named D.T. Niles who was told about a member of his congregation, or he tells a story, I'm sorry, about a member of his congregation that he met on the street one day. And she used to be pretty active in the church, very active. But in recent months, she had seemed to kind of drift away. He hadn't seen her in a long time at church or any church functions. And when he asked her why, told her he missed her and asked her why, she said that after a lot of personal problems that were going on and a lot of family things that were happening, she began to feel distant from God. She felt after a while that she'd kind of lost contact with God. And this was how this wise pastor answered her. He said, not only now, but even in the future, listen to these words, there will always be times when God seems distant, when it looks as if God has forgotten you and does not care, when prayers go unanswered and life is difficult. At such times, you must learn to hold on to others, to hold on to your fellow Christians. Your difficulty is that you tried to hold on to God alone. And people were never intended to hold on to God alone. Sorry, I'm a little busy right now. Maybe Thomas was trying to do that. Maybe he was trying to hold on to God alone. Whatever the reason, he was missing from the group that day. 
I think when a person misses a very special event in the life of the church, now this last year notwithstanding, there's no discussion on anybody having that should have been in churches, but, but during normal, more normal times. When you miss a big event, you're never able to understand the significance of what you missed. It might be a choir expo, and if you haven't, if you have missed the choir expos, I don't know what to tell you. You've missed a, a wonderful, wonderful experience. It is without reservation, I, I believe that in my own life, I'll speak for me and only me, that is as close to heaven as I ever feel, is when we have the choir expo and all these people from different churches get together and those last two songs when we're all singing together. Oh, man, it's glorious. It really is. And for me to tell you that and explain it to you, no, you have to experience it. Next year when we have a choir expo again, come, don't miss it. But if it's that or a Lenten service or it might just be a regular Sunday morning service where something special happened, your heart was touched that day. People tell me that happens all the time. Now, I'm nothing special as a, as a speaker, but God is here this morning with us. God is communicating with you through me. And there are people who come to me and, you know, fairly often and say, you know, you just really, I felt like you were talking to me this morning. Well, rest assured I wasn't. <laughs> it's a sermon for everybody. But God knows. He knows your heart. And if you weren't, if a person were not here that day, they weren't present to describe that feeling and that, the wonder of it all is impossible. You need to experience it for yourself. I appreciate so much those of you who take serious your commitment to attend this church. I could name some people, and I won't, but I can name some people who I know that if those doors are open, they're going to be here. If they're not here, something's wrong. They're sick. Somebody important to them is in trouble. Something's going on. Or they're going to be here. And I know exactly who they are. And I appreciate the commitment of those who come. Sometimes they might come to an event that's not really all that appealing to them. But they come in support of the work here. And they come in support of this church regardless of whether it's going to be a fantastic time for them or not. And I appreciate those people. There are people who miss church, and when they do, they miss so much. Thomas was lucky, though. He got a second chance. Some things only happen once. If you miss it, you miss it. There's a second thing to be said about Thomas. Thomas wanted very much to believe. There are some people who identify with Thomas. I'm a skeptic. I'm from Missouri. You got to show me. Actually, there are three different approaches to doubt. One is a skeptic who says that he or she is a doubter, and they're darn proud of it. That's a very convenient approach to life. In the name of being a skeptic, you can avoid making any kind of a commitment. The second approach to the doubting is for a person who is afraid to doubt at all. 
kind of the exact opposite. A voice inside your head suggests to you that you will fry in hell if you don't, if you even entertain the slightest doubt that everything that you've been taught isn't true. This voice usually sounds a lot like a parent or the voice of some preacher. The third group is made up of people like Thomas, and I hope people like us, who say like the man in the Gospel of Mark who was encountering Jesus and said, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. Woody Allen once asked, if God does exist, why doesn't he give me some sign like depositing a million dollars in my checking account in a Swiss bank. Okay. I read recently some creative answers that came from a group of young people in confirmation classes. Here's a few of them. The natives of Macedonia did not believe Paul, so he got stoned. When people have only one wife or husband, that is called monotony. <laughs> and finally... Boy, Dave, the married man back there really laughed at that one. And finally, it is often difficult to hear in church because the agnostics are so terrible. <laughs> now, if you don't know, agnostics are people who, uh, I'll give you the simplest definition of it, they don't believe or not believe. They just don't know what to believe. Well, Thomas was not an agnostic. He knew that his Lord had been crucified he knew that he had been pronounced dead and that he was buried in a tomb. And it was too much to ask him to believe that now his Lord had resurrected and was alive and was appearing to people. He just couldn't believe it. It would take more than their wishful assurances to convince him that Jesus really was alive. And so he said, unless I see the marks in his hand and place my fingers in his side, I won't believe. Oh, what a terrible guy, huh? Think about it. How many times have you not believed? Because you didn't see it or you couldn't envision it. Guilty. All of us. Sometimes we ask ourselves, why doesn't God just give us a little bit more evidence? Why can't he show us a sign? First thing I'd say is watch for the signs because they might be there. You're just not noticing them. Why can't God just answer a few more of my prayers? Why does he always seem to be just a little bit out of my reach? Someone wrote, if only God would, so to say, sign some of his gifts. If he, like an artist, would put his signature at the foot of some masterpiece of coloring in the sky so that we know he was real. Many of us have probably had a wish like that. Why doesn't God reveal himself to us in a way that we would never again have to doubt? Some vision in the night. Something real that we could see and hear and touch. Why doesn't he do that? Well, maybe he does it on purpose. 
Maybe he hides himself on purpose. Maybe to bring us to maturity. It might be necessary for God to make our faith a little bit of a challenge. When certain things happen in our lives, life becomes challenging and we want God to answer our prayers now. Maybe he's testing us. See how we're going to respond. Think about prayer. What if God answered every prayer we prayed? What if he did? Wouldn't we become like spoiled children? Wouldn't we become dependent? Wouldn't that make God our servant instead of us his? Or at least our overindulgent parent? We wouldn't have to rely on our own abilities. We wouldn't have to do anything. Wouldn't need any initiative in life. Like a child never allowed to fall down, we would just never learn to walk, to cope, to persevere with things that happen. We'd never mature. We'd be children all of our lives. Sometimes I think that might be nice. Besides, faith that comes too easily is not faith for the long haul, is it? Even if we have our times of doubting, like Thomas, during times of stress, that doesn't mean that we aren't asking for faith. We were made for fellowship with God, and our hearts are never at rest until we find our rest in him. And that brings me to the final thing to be said this morning. If we seek God, we will find God. That's the promise of Scripture. He will not forever hide himself from us. It says in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 13, if with all your heart you truly seek me, you will surely find me. Now that's God. God said that. Thomas did. And eight days later, he was in a room with the other disciples. The doors were locked, but Jesus appeared to them. And Jesus said, peace be with you. And then he turned to Thomas and he said, come here. Put your fingers in those nail holes. See my hands. Put out your hand and place it in my side. Don't be faithless, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. There will be times in our lives when we will go through seasons of doubt, seasons of despair, feelings of spiritual defeat. Anyone whose faith is worth anything has or will. God's promises are sure. In our hour of need, God will reveal himself. It may be through a passage of scripture. It may be through the encouragement of a friend. It may be through a song. I think music is powerful, very powerful. It may be through a walk with nature. But God will comfort you. God will never, ever fail us. And when we ask ourselves, I don't know, I'm just a guy. I don't know if I really have the faith to get through hard times. Let me finish with a little story about Corey Ten Boom. Most of you probably know who Corey Ten Boom is. She was a survivor of the Holocaust, 
lost her entire family. They were all killed. And Corey survived and went on to write books and speak to groups for years until she passed away. But she told this story about a conversation with her dad when she was a young girl. She went to her dad and when all this was going on and the Nazis were threatening, she said, Papa, I don't think I have the faith to handle real trouble. I don't know what I'd do if you should die. I don't think I have the faith that some people have to face trouble. Corey's father looked at her tenderly and said, Corey, dear, when your father says he will send you to the store tomorrow, does he give you money to go today? She said, no. He gives it to me when I'm ready to go to the store. And if you're going on a train trip, Corey, and you need money for a ticket, does your father give you the money when we decide that you can make the trip? When I give you permission? Well, no, Father. You give me the money when we're at the train depot, when we're all ready to buy our ticket. Corey, God treats us the same way. He doesn't give you the faith until you need it. When you need it, he gives it to you. Corey said that she never forgot those words. And later on, her life became proof that she didn't forget those words and that she lived by those words. If you sometimes doubt, if you sometimes wonder how much of this is real, if you sometimes doubt that there really is a life beyond this one and, that, and think that maybe it could all be for naught, it's okay. It's all right to doubt. It's all right to struggle with your faith. No one faults you for that. All the great ones did. That's how we grow. If we seek God, we will find God. But in the meantime, let's hold on to each other. Trusting that when we really need it, the faith will be there. God will reveal himself to us. He did it for Thomas. He'll do it for us. Amen.